You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're you're tuned in to It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati, the top podcast covering the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. Hosted by Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata at Odyssey Sports Podcast. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. Mike, how you doing? Doing better. <laughs> doing, doing a little bit better. I think I think yeah. every Bengals fan needed about 24 to 48 hours after that game to really just take it back, watch a little bit of the game, see what happened in the first and second half, and uh, know that maybe better days are ahead because I can confirm that the sun is shining every day in Cincinnati since Sunday. So the sun did come up the next day and the next day it's supposed to come up all week until they take off to play the Dallas Cowboys. So things in Cincinnati should be good. Yeah. uh, Things will be better. Um, I can't imagine to me. I kept saying it that the Bengals won't lose the Steelers without multiple turnovers. And then that happened, (laughs) but it's kind of the same thing with the Cowboys. They, they won't lose to Cooper rush without multiple turnovers and I really don't think they're going to lose. They're going to give up multiple turnovers again. I hope not. No, that's the thing. A lot of people, when they hear backup quarterback, they hear Cooper Rush's name. Obviously, in his last start, he did pretty well against the Minnesota Vikings. It's always that backup quarterback that finds a way. I think a lot of people think about the Jets game last year because you think, oh, they can take care of business. It's a backup quarterback. It's not the starting quarterback. They'll have no problem. There's a little bit of worry. I feel like in Cincinnati land, when you think about the quarterback that you're going to be facing in the Dallas Cowboys, because there's a lot of unknowns of what you'll face, but I agree with you. It's still, I mean, I hate to go too far back into it, but we're going to, in this episode, we'll look ahead to Dallas on Thursday. You gave the ball away five times. You, if, if, You have Clark Harris in the second half, and I know a lot of people, even Darren Simmons has talked about it. You know, Drew Sample misses a block and other things went differently on special teams. We're talking about a different football team right now. And what's crazy is just listening to a little bit of the national media today, they're like, whoa, you guys are freaking out in Cincinnati. You guys came back and made it a game after giving the ball to the Steelers five times. Why is everybody freaking out? So I think in Cincinnati, you have to realize that they were one extra point away from us talking about a different team to start the season. Obviously, we would talk about Joe Burrow's struggles in the first half, but Joe could have ended the game with five touchdowns. If you think about it, if everything would have counted, the Jamar Chase touchdown, the one foot in grab, that was unbelievable. It was one of my favorite catches of the day, even though it didn't count. And then the Mike Thomas drop, unfortunately, in the end zone. If you have T. Higgins out there, maybe that looks a little bit different, but I think you can take the good and the bad from that opener and the sky isn't really falling too much right now. 
Yeah, uh, the I think the real good was I. It just slips by you in the moment, but I haven't fully charted out. Yeah, I just started out the the results, and I was like, oh, they had a drive where it went gain of eighteen, gain of twenty three, and then a a few you know misses, defensive holding, but then another gain of eleven, gain of twelve, and then the touchdown. And I was like, or no, that one actually ended without the touchdown. That was the one. They had four shots at the goal line, but that's a great drive. I was like, oh, that's a really well put together drive because when I've been thinking and looking back, I'm like, man, it really felt like they didn't sustain any drives. And then that one right before they uh, tied and should have won the game, it felt like they hit their groove. And I was kind of remembering that as I was going through, I was like, oh yeah, they really kind of hit their groove in that fourth quarter. And even into overtime, you could say they didn't score in overtime, but uh, they got there. <laughs> they just didn't have a, a working operation. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, you've obviously went back and watched a lot of the tape. You think about the Joe Burrow we saw in the first half versus the Joe Burrow in the second half. Uh, there's things that he's going to want to fix in the second half. Uh, obviously, you know, you want your touchdowns to count. You want everything to work and, and be the same Joe Burrow. But I think what we saw in the second half is more what we're going to get in these next couple of games. They're slowly getting back in the groove of everything from the wide receivers to just Joe Burrow alone, getting those extra reps in regular season that I felt like he looked a little more comfortable going into the second half. Yeah, the whole offense just looked like it actually kicked into what the offense should be. Granted, against a very good defense, what I think is an elite defense on paper and in that game, um, but they were able to move the ball. They were able to consistently move the ball in the second half, and they were, other than, yeah, there's the one turnover that was on a fourth down, but especially that fourth quarter, I think, was like, yeah, that's that's what this offense should be, even against these really good defenses. Um, there's a lot. That needs to be better. But this is why I remember saying that I think the shotgun portion of this offense is fine. It's coherent. It's put together. The Steelers were kind of trying to take that away by just really making Burrow and them beat everything underneath. And Burrow early on wasn't willing to take those. He wanted to be a gunslinger. And uh, But the under center offense needs to have a conversation that I think has been going on on Twitter for a few days because 16 out of 18 plays were run plays. And if you don't include uh, the I formation, which was only toss plays, the two times they got in that, it was like 13 out of 15 runs, I believe, or, or maybe it was 10 out of 13 runs were uh, wide zone, some variation of wide zone, which is just running the same play. Everybody run on the angle, hand the ball off, Mix and go find the hole, get upfield, one cut, all that. You got to have some variation. The whole point of getting under center is to have a varied run game. And then to go with all of that, when you go under center and the Steelers are able to just tee off on your guys, they're they're flying downhill. They're running fast. They're bringing heat. You got to have play action to come off of it. And the one time they ran a normal play action drop back where he's going to sit in the pocket from under center, Burrow hits. Uh, chase explosive game and then the other time they ran a boot and it wasn't an explosive game because of minka but that you got to hit a few more of those just it can't be that you have to make them respect your play action game and i don't know who's at fault for not having a play action game in the drop back or uh, a play action game from under center if that's burrow doesn't feel comfortable you kind of just have to tell them like you'll get comfortable <laughs> you have an offensive line now trust it and uh or if that's uh, zach taylor thinking like now we don't need it if we're gonna pass let's just get shotgun leper read the field but it's just such a tendency that that's how i see it at least 
Do you think that this offense is a little too predictable? And is that worrisome going forward? That's what I meant for the under center. It's very predictable. The Steelers are just, they sell, sold out on the run every time he went under center to take a snap because they just don't pass out of that. The two passes and one of them's a boot, which is, which really the whole point of the boot was just to hit the flat route. And then the other one worked for an explosive gain because the Steelers aren't, they don't care at all about, they didn't care at all about defending the pass. And I mean, this is just what happens when teams are really game planning for you, catching on to your tendencies. When you have one this lopsided, they can just tee off. And really, I think that's a big reason the run game was not that efficient, even if it was safe. And then there was, there weren't as many explosive plays as there should have been. When you watch how the safeties are coming downhill on run action, I mean, you just, when I see that, I I, I would think that when you see that on the Microsoft Surface tablet, you're going, okay, we got to hit them with play action next time. You can't have make a flying downhill like that. I guess I should have asked it a little bit differently. Do you think it's a little more worrisome of what we could see this season? Do you think, you know, this is just going to be what this offense is? Or is that Taylor, Brian Kelly, and Joe Burrow, the wide receivers, going to change it up? Because people had a whole offseason to go after this team. I know a lot of people talk about free agency. The, the AFC is loaded. Everybody saw what Cincinnati was able to do last year. And do they, you know... Is that a little bit scary to think that maybe this offense doesn't change with the creativity? Yeah, I think this is a very big uh, inflection point for what the Zach Taylor. Now, he's obviously not getting fired. He just signed an extension. I think the people that are doing that are crazy. But how good of a coach is he and how good of a play caller is he? Where it's predictable right now. I don't think there's any way around that. When they get under center, it's very predictable. and they the shotgun i'm fine with the run games whatever from there but you're just trying to keep them a little bit honest and they're doing that so it's not working and it's predictable so what is your what is your move off of that you watch all these other offenses when they get under center they have all this play action game off of it justin jefferson's running 20 yards of separation from the next guy i'm not even calling for a bunch of creativity because i think what they think is basically our players are better than yours so let's just go beat them but and it's true for the most part. I mean, what do you, what can you do? That's fine. Yeah. But you just need to take, when the defense is giving you something that drastic, you need to be able to take it. And they haven't shown that they can do that yet, but I think they can be. And the one play I'm going to think back to is the Broncos game. And um, the entire game under center, they're running wide zone and duo. And they're actually really hammering duo which is a power run play, no poolers, but they're just trying to get all this vertical displacement, double teams. And the thing about it is Boyd fits up on a safety most of the time or a nickel corner. And then late in the game, Boyd catches that long touchdown where he makes uh, Justin Simmons miss. But the reason he was so open is because they ran duo action and Boyd actually fits up. Looks like he's blocking the, um, I think it was a safety, and then sprints off for uh, what's called leak. And just nobody's near him because it looks so much like their run play that they were hammering these guys with. And the way that the Car Cardinals, the way that the Broncos, I don't know why that came to mind. The way that the Broncos were fitting that just, it left them this big opportunity and they took advantage of it in a crucial moment to win the game. And I think the Bengals had that opportunity against the Steelers and didn't take it, but that's a learning, that's a learning point. You just have to, 
you have to, when they're going to do that to you, when you go under center, you have to be able to punish them just like they did in the Broncos game. And that Broncos game is going to give me a little bit of hope for Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, and the future of not being too, too predictable under center. I might be too much on the positive side for Zach Taylor. I know Twitter's mad at him. Twitter's always going to be mad at the head coach. I mean, you could look at the AFC Championship game last year. People were mad at Andy Reid, their offensive coordinator, after the game was over. That's just it. <laughs> That's what happens when you lose. You know, it's just—it's so funny to be mad at Andy Reid. <laughs> you know what happened after the AFC Championship game? And I, I don't think he had a great called game, but it's just like to to ask for Andy Reid to be fired or something is like insane. I could probably look it up on my Twitter right now and we'd find <laughs> Andy Reid. And not now. Everyone's happy. Everyone forgot about last year. But but the thing, you know, with your head coach, you lose a game. You win a game. Everyone's like, oh, man, way to go. Way to, way to call those plays in the second half. This offense looks legit, which is crazy to think about how flip-flopped it felt like in the second half for this offense. And they didn't even look that great. Joe Burrow didn't look awesome but he still had some great throws because we're all still thinking about the first half of how that went for them but i want to go to the offensive weapons right now you're without t higgins in the second half to be determined on if he plays on sunday i feel like we'll get a better grasp of that on thursday wednesday i still feel like it's going to be a limited update until he goes through the rest of concussion protocol and that's just the way it goes if he doesn't practice thursday i don't see him playing on sunday that's just normally how it goes with inactives and players in practice but i want to talk about the running back room. Nobody will ever forget about Smaj P. Ryan in the Super Bowl. I remember a little bit about the AFC Championship game when he ran in for the touchdown. But obviously, the excitement over the offseason was Chris Evans. It was going to be his second year this year. feel like this guy's going to be a big part of this offense. You think about Chris Evans. You think about Joe Mixon on the ground, receptions in the air. He really isn't a part of this offense right now. What What's the deal with that? I think the fans were kind of making up a lot of the Chris Evans hype because the coaches had him, the coaches had him in a competition for the RB three spot and playing in preseason games and P Ryan resting and fans were still saying, Oh, Evans RB two. And I'm just like, kind of watching like, ah, this is a train wreck. It's going to happen. And I, I didn't see zero. People. Why didn't you warn the people? <laughs> because they just get mad at me and say I'm stupid or something, you know, like, like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> I saw some call from play some wide receiver. It's like, I, he can't really play outside at five foot nine. <laughs> Not that P Ryan, like yeah. when you put a running back out wide, most of the time, that's just a waste, waste some player, so, you know, like in his own coverage, just waste the corner, just run downfield, let the corner follow you. Um, but I think he should get more snaps, but I also, I would, <sighs> It's so tough because the the only time Chris Evans has had to play and pass protect, he did a good job. But it's clear the coaching staff does not trust him in that role because otherwise he would get those snaps. And we're not at practice. Well, I know I'm not at practice. <laughs> I guess I can. Maybe you're watching from afar, uh, be able to get there somehow. But <laughs> I, I'm, 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 but, but but I think you can take the overall <laughs> reaction of people who are there every day. I mean, we yeah. really didn't mm-hmm. hear. The thing is, we didn't hear about Chris Evans really that never from the coaching staff never from and never you always hear how he looked good in practice Mm -hmm. but what i always want to hear is just like the coaches say we've got a bigger role in mind for him or yeah whatever i'd never listen to the that running back's gonna play some wide receiver because i'm just like no he's not (laughs) it never happened well experts who said chris evans make sure you're watching (laughs) yeah i never bought it 
your roster. Um, that was a big part of that. No, I agree with you. I think that big hype was more on social media and not really true in the coach's room. So do you think he's going to be any of an impact player besides maybe a special teams guy this year? I think he'll get more snaps. He's not going to have zero snaps the entire year, obviously, um, and especially if there's an injury or some sort. Uh, I just – I think he's higher variance than a lot of people want to say he is. I think you will probably get the lowest lows with Evans than you would with the other guys just because of experience. I just cannot get that play from the Super Bowl out of my head where they tried to throw a rail route to him and the linebacker is able to reroute him when he has like 20 yards on the sideline to, to run around that guy. And that's just stuck in my brain. And I know he catches a ball later, but that's stuck in my brain of like the coaching staff is probably very upset that he ran into that linebacker instead of trying to get around him because that was a touchdown in the Super Bowl, man. <laughs> and I know, I know P Ryan had a ball bounce off his hands and go to the, uh, go to the corner in the Titans game and all these other things people are yelling about and P Ryan couldn't pick up first down. They also ran inside zone at Aaron Donald. Uh, <laughs> let's not forget that part no. of the, no, oh, how could people forget anything when it comes to Aaron Donald in the Super Bowl? I mean, not <laughs> one play I, I will ever forget. He lives in people's nightmares. I'm not even joking. But, not but I just – yeah, I just think they really trust P run and pass protection, rightfully so. When I watch, he is the best pass protector. I keep hoping Mixon shows more so that he can get more of those. But really, it's P Ryan. And when you end of the day, the job that they want in on passing downs is not some electric outlet to take. 10 yard passes to take two yard pass turn into 10 yard gains. They want to keep Joe upright against the blitz. And that's okay. In my opinion, because you have already three studs and honestly, Hurst looked good. So you have four outlets that look like they can ball. You don't really need the fifth one as much as you need the pass protection. And people are yell about the offensive line is fixed. And I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but when you bring six, you need a six guy to pick that guy up or Burroughs taking a hit. Here's the thing. We're going to get more into the offensive line. Hayden Harris. What I love about NFL game weeks, half of this stuff wasn't even on our subject line. So we're just kind of adding so much in because I feel like this is what everyone is talking about right now. It's the weapons, the offensive line, Hayden Hurst, Joe Burrow. So there's plenty to talk about. That's the good news. We're running over. So we're going to go ahead and wrap and get to our next segment on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. A lot of talk this offseason was CJ Uzama's gone. He goes to the Jets. They get Hayden Hurst. A little bit of optimism, I felt like, going into the preseason game one of what Hayden Hurst can bring. He's younger. He really never got the shot to be tight end number one, that big guy with a quarterback like Joe Burrow. Here he is on this offense, makes key plays. You would think he made the play in overtime that was going to help them win the game with the go-ahead field goal. But unfortunately, that did not happen. But I think if you look at the glass half full when it comes to offensive weapons and to be determined on, like as I mentioned before, T. Higgins, if he plays on Sunday, what you can really get out of Hayden Hurst at the tight end position, what did you think of Hurst's play on Sunday? I liked it. I, 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 he's, I don't want to say like he looks like he could be a number one option for a team. No, but like when he was called upon, he did a great job. Uh, I, starting in the first quarter, he catches that ball on third down. And a lot of times you see a guy catch that. And then the offensive line basically picks up the running back and takes him another five yards before he falls down. 
but Hurst had nobody pushing him and he carried, I think it was two Steelers across that first down line. Like that was, that was some awesome effort. And I loved seeing that. And then relatively quiet, but you have to understand that he is probably what fifth in the pecking order. When you think yeah. Boyd Higgins Maybe Chase, and Mixon. Uh, I, well, when Higgins at was times, out, at times, at times, <laughs> at times, yeah. at times, he might be your fourth, he might be your fourth wide receiver. Yeah, fourth wide receiver. I, I think run game and mix it. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I'm not taking Joe Mixon yeah. out of this. Please let me correct myself. <laughs> Joe Mixon is obviously going to be there, but I think when you think of offensive weapons, obviously he's a tight end. But I think in the wide receiver room or just receptions alone, I would maybe put Hayden Hurst at four. I mean, you look at the other guys you got in the wide receiver room. You're not winning a lot of games with them. See Mike Thomas in the NFL game this past weekend. I felt bad. Mike Thomas struggled, but I was also like, oh man. They're kind of trying to use him in the Higgins role at times where they just like kind of ran a play and it was like, yeah, T would be running that right now. Like that one play where would have uh, caught the touchdown. T Higgins would have caught the touchdown in the end zone. I'm so sorry, Mike Thomas. Uh, I'm I so sorry. I hope you rebound <laughs> yeah. and we make some catches because look, they might need you in Dallas on Sunday. But unfortunately, we knew what we were going to get in the bottom half of the wide receiver room for the Cincinnati Bengals. So no, I just feel like Curse is going to be one of those guys that obviously tied in but can be your fourth receiver if you kind of think of it. Just an insane catch in overtime to set up the field goal. Like to get both feet down on that was, oh my goodness. I forgot how awesome it was until I rewatched. And I was just like, sheesh. It's, actually kind of Hurst, a dagger. it's a little bit of a dagger <laughs> if you think about it, because you're like, oh, Peyton Hurst, great part of this offense. And then he makes the catch and you think, they should have. They should have made the field goal. They should have won the game. Yeah, no. There's so many. There's so many narrative stories about like how Hayden Hurst was the hero for making that catch and stepping up and all these other things. And I keep thinking nobody would have wrote it, but I always think I would have said something about Wilcox as a hero if he actually if the snap doesn't get if, if the kick doesn't get blocked. It's like yeah, you just had an emergency long snapper step in there. It was a little slow, but it was fine. So I was thought of all too. this. Long snappers are people too. That's what I want to say. I mean, people are like, how's Clark Harris get hurt? Half his job is running 40 yards downfield to make a tackle, guys. That's how he got hurt. He doesn't snap and then just kind of sit there like, ah, nice. Another good one. <laughs> but no. um, I liked I liked Hurst a lot. Uh, he wasn't used the way I thought he would be as a blocker. I thought there'd be a lot more sift, cuts, all those type of things. But he was fine. I, I thought he was better as a blocker in this game than he was last year in Atlanta. So that was very promising. I still don't think he's going to be Uzama as a blocker in line, at least he's, but he's more athletic and uh, look, he might be a better receiver uh, watching him. I was just, I was really impressed. He made the CG Uzama. Uzama was the guy to drag guys across the first down marker on third down. Hurst did that. And then Hurst added on that insane catch that I don't think Uzama makes that catch, but different players. I think you're going to get at least a similar result. Uh, in production from her. So I was really impressed and nobody's really talking about it because it was a loss and you want to talk about all the negatives, but I thought he was solid in his debut. I do want to say something that I said about Hurst and earlier in the segment, I said, number one option. I kind of met more in the tight end room at his other oh, yeah. teams of being the number one option. He's obviously, I hope he's never the number one option in Cincinnati. No offense, nurse. You, you hope that's always uh, your guy, Jamar Chase and uh, T Higgins, but we'll go to the offensive line because I think there are a lot of lazy takes 
after games, it's people who didn't watch the game or rewatch the game. National experts that say, oh, Joe Burrow sucks seven times. This offense line is terrible. They didn't fix anything. They didn't spend any money in free agency. Who are these guys out there? They're still struggling. Poor Joe Burrow, seven sacks. I'm going to have you do the good and the bad. Glass half full, glass half empty. We'll start with the good because I feel like Bengals land could use some optimism and some good news. When you think of three offensive line plays, what stands out for you from Sunday? All right. So the first one that stood out to me just massively was Cordell Volson got a snatch trap on Cam Hayward. So we have to discuss what a snatch trap is first. Yes. Cam Hayward loves to yeah, Cam Hayward loves to bull rush. And when you bull rush, you get at least one, usually with him, both arms and hands inside of the jersey, rushing the guy backwards. This is what you know, Volson gave up his sack on on the first play of the game. So Volson responds when Hayward pushes into him with both his hands. The snatch trap is basically taking your fist and punching his arm to get that leverage point to go away. And he has so much weight on his hands and pushing forward that it's like pulling the rug out from underneath someone, pulling the chair out. So he falls onto his face. So Cordell Volson, fourth round rookie, got Cam Hayward with a snatch trap and made him fall onto his face one-on-one. -on -one. He was on an island. Karras was busy blocking uh, Larry Ogunjobi on the play. So uh, I believe I I'm just going to double check real quick. Like, I'm yeah. going to double check this because I'm oh, not going to. absolutely. <laughs> Immediately. Immediately, Karras goes and blocks Ogunjobi. And um, uh, Volson is able to snatch trap and get Hayward to fall on his face. So that was an awesome rep from him. I really loved another rep, uh, this one from Alex Kappa, where he is on – a, uh, a double he it's a duo which is getting double teams on the first level working to the second level anyway all this <laughs> all this is to say um alex kappa he takes miles jack who's a linebacker he basically couldn't double because miles jack was so close to the line of scrimmage that he just had to pick him up instead he was basically on the line of scrimmage and he turns him takes another man, drives him into another guy, and pan gets two pancakes for the price of one. He puts Miles Jack and he puts uh, – just checking the number. I believe 94. I'm not sure. That might be Aluwalu. Puts them both on the ground. <laughs> so he opens up a hole and puts two guys on the ground by himself. That was an awesome rep from Alex Kappa. So – Wanted to shout that out. And I'm going to go unorthodox on the first time I do this segment. My third one is Joe Mixon. <laughs> I just talked about his blitz pickups and how I want him to be better. There is a, a play where they called play action. Everybody's selling uh, play action. They're trying to pick up the defensive lineman right away. But the Steelers sent Terrell Edmonds off of the edge. And instead of carrying out the play action, Joe Mixon sees that and immediately goes, picks up Terrell Edmonds, and it leads to an explosive play to T. Higgins because Joe Burrow doesn't get decapitated on the backside of that because he couldn't see him coming. So awesome job from Mixon. It's the opposite side of where he's normally looking. Just love to see it. Love to see him do something awesome in pass protection like that. He did have a hiccup. It's okay. <laughs> I saw that one too. But I wanted to just shout out, that's that's just really high-level um, 
thinking processing, which is really his issue of pass protection. He's not a guy that shies away. He wants to, he wants the contact and that also fits with how he is as a runner, but uh, he wants to pick up these safeties in these corners. He actually gets too antsy. I think when he messes up pass, protection. he's like, I want to go hit that guy. I want to go hit that guy. And he steps up and then there's a guy running the other way. And it's like, no, Joe, <laughs> you got too excited. That guy wasn't coming, but uh, that was an awesome play where he saves Burrow's skin and they get an explosive play all because of his pass protection. So those are the three, highlights that i wanted to point out now you're gonna go to the bad part and i feel like i could i could probably already name the player that you're gonna come up with first but uh i'll have you do it your three bad ones for this offensive line okay so <laughs> is it uh uh jonah williams gave up a strip sack um you know what i will say this it's the play it's two of the players that i really didn't think were going to struggle that much when I think about this offensive line, but Jonah, man, Jonah didn't look great. But I thought it was actually, I, I didn't think he played terrible. I didn't think he got beat up and down the field by Highsmith. I thought when he lost, he lost bad, but he also won a majority of the reps. It's just, you can't give up two sacks. That's the thing that sucks as an offensive lineman. You win almost every rep, but you lose that bad on two reps and you had a bad game and no way around it. Like uh, that's just, not acceptable, but yeah, uh, Highsmith got him a few times, man. It, it was Highsmith was in his bag with spin moves and uh, a fake chop. That was the one where he got him on the strip sack was he like faked the chop and went around, got Jonah to throw his hands. That's usually something Jonah does so well with not falling for all those fakes. Went around the outside. Burrow's a little deep in the pocket, but it's a pressure. So he can't step up anyway. So I get it. And Highsmith's able to get a strip sack. So Something I don't think that's going to last for Jonah, and I'm not too, too worried about it. The second one is just as much as the offensive line didn't really have any communications in the pass game, I thought they had quite a few in the run game. And the one I think of is <laughs> they're running wide zone to the left. And on the backside, you have Kappa and Collins, think right guard, right tackle. Uh, Kappa thinks I'm just going to give out a little bit of a hand to help and I'm going to go to the next level. And Collins is thinking I'm going to go block TJ Watt <laughs> and help out the tight end. So he's not solo blocking Watt. And then Ogunjobi just runs right in between them because they just no communication on that one. There were, I think Collins thought, Oh, Kappa's going to take that guy. And, uh, Kappa thought, Oh, I'm going to give Collins a little help and I'm going to go get the linebacker. So that'll probably be fixed over time. But there were like five of those in the run game where you just want to have better uh, protection. And the last one is just what I already talked about with Volson. Cam Hayward kind of stutters. Volson's one-on-one -on -one with him. And then Hayward gets a real good push initially, gets him off balance, backing up, and then just runs right through his inside. And that is the area you don't want to give up as uh, an offensive lineman. And he gets a sack from that. So is what it is. That's an elite player, but uh, man, hate to see uh, you give up a pressure that quick to a bull rush. You want to see those guys dying slow where they're just like hopping back hip, hip, hip <laughs> as they go back and imagine like straining and just like, kind of like, please get this ball out instead of, Oh crap. <laughs> he's like knocked off balance guys running free. Stay in front next time. I know he's elite. I know he's hard to block, but just stay in front. Um, also don't, don't, don't let him do the Gino where he would pick guys up and like sack the quarterback with the offensive lineman. Don't do that either, but just stay in front and make it harder on him. 
when you hear what you see and you're watching obviously the game again from from the Steelers in week one this offensive line are you optimistic these are things that can get fixed with this offensive line and then you have Collins coming up with the Dallas Cowboys feels like an internal revenge game I think all that stuff is really silly because you're going to be one of, you're going to want to be ready every week in the NFL as an offensive lineman and an NFL player I don't think it really matters who you're going up against but obviously there's a little bit of added pressure when it's your former team you think about this offensive line alone and you hear seven sacks and some of those are on Joe Burrow um, you you can see it. Joe does it every year. Joe's never going to change when it comes to that. It's unfortunate at times because you don't want Joe to get hurt. And then obviously it's not great for your offense. But overall with this offensive line, as a guru, as someone who watches all of the guys in the NFL, you're my offensive line. You're, you're my number one. You know what's going on. It can't it be fixed. I just can't have contact with Jeff. Hyping you up, the expert of offensive linemen, the best one in the NFL. Um, I know you've had some contact with Duke Merriweather. I'm not better than him. We Duke would have been a great guest. You know what? Duke may join us on Thursday night. I I will work on that. But we'll go to the offensive line right now. Overall, I'm gonna have a notepad out. You think of what you. What you've seen, we've seen some bad offensive linemen. I mean, you can go back to about seven, eight months ago. Is this offensive line better? Are the Bengals getting criticized a little too much for people maybe not watching the tape and, and re-watching that game that maybe it is just getting more reps together going into the season? To me, demonstrably better. Like as individuals, they all look much better than what they had last year. I think some of it is just unlucky and you're going to see over accumulation of reps that this doesn't have. I think of Jonah. Jonah doesn't give up two sacks in a game very often. So that's probably not happening. Well, oh, he bases Michael Parsons. I should probably hold my tongue. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, he faces Miles Garrett and and he gives up one sack and then he gives up two sacks to Alex Highsmith. And this is just like a consistency thing. You want to see that. um, But it's I think he gets in his own head sometimes. He's a really smart guy. And I think he overthinks things sometimes as he's getting there. Just like I uh, I don't know, just instead of playing with just the unconscious tuition of knowing, reacting, using all your training, he kind of thinks a little bit sometimes. And uh but overall, just every player, almost every player along the offensive line is better than last season. It's a matter of cohesion in the run game, play calling a little bit in uh, uh, in the run game, just not being as predictable. Um, and Burrow's always going to be taking these sacks, but I think there is the gray area that he could fall back just a little bit, and he did it in the second half. That's why I'm always hyping up the second half of this game because that's what I want the Bengals' office to look like, where he is hitting his checkdowns on time, and he is getting through his progressions quickly. He's not holding, trying to be a big game hunter. When he has to move the ball, he's moving the ball. What were we so impressed by when Josh Allen came out and tore up the Rams? It's like he took all of the underneath stuff. And that's Josh Allen, who was known as inaccurate gunslinger, just wants to fire these deep. He comes out and he throws like 80% completion and for a long time, like six air yards per attempt. Like that's not a Josh Allen thing. But if that's what the defense gives you, that's what you have to take. If they're going to play everybody deep, you take the underneath. Just very simple. Sometimes we make this very hard when it's a little bit more simple where if they're going to play people deep, you take what's underneath. If they're going to bring a guy down, now you can attack deep. It's just numbers that way. So I want to see Burrow just not completely. I don't want him to turn into like a Kirk Cousins. Or, no. You know, he, he had a great game. But I just want to see 5 10% more of protect your offensive line a little bit and protect yourself. 
protect your offensive line from criticism by protecting yourself and getting that ball out. Just, you know, stop running out of the pocket when it's clean and stop. Uh, he only did that a couple times, but worrisome a little bit. I think he'll be okay. He was fine last year. And then also just get the ball out. When, when it's that first pick is just burned in my memory as like a core memory. It's like, get off of that. It wasn't even a, a sack, but get off of that, check it down. And I think that has to, that just has to happen a couple more times a game. Instead of taking a sack, just check it down, live to fight another day. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point. You don't want Joe Burrow to change the way he is because if Joe Burrow changed the way he is, he 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 would not have that first down in the AFC Championship game where he had the play of the second half. At one, I mean, there's so many plays in that second half, but he runs for the first down and and keeps it a game and, and gets the first down and you know they extend the play and go down and score. So don't change fully. But I think you bring up a good point when you said protecting the offensive line and yourself. You protect yourself from getting injured. And then the criticism is the headline, seven sacks. This team didn't change anything. This is the same old offensive line. And I agree with that. I think you you, you got to be smart with that. And Joe has to change his ways when it comes to that. Not fully, but a percentage-wise. And, and hopefully that happens. And he's going to – he's. I have no doubt that today's an off day in the NFL not to be like more like, oh, Joe Burrow sitting at his locker staring into space. and <laughs> Still no staring. No he hasn't eaten. No he hasn't bathed. Yet. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I, I truly believe Joe Burrow did not have an off day today. I truly believe that he's uh, – I sound so corny. People are going to be like, oh, yeah, Joe Burrow never <laughs> he works. He's one of those coaches that sleeps at the stadium. Uh, no, but I truly believe that dude is like, all right, now it's war uh, because he's – He's a different cat, but uh, we'll see what happens in Dallas on Thursday. But it's crazy. There's so much to talk about. We just talked about offensive line for a full segment and Hayden Hurst. Uh, you know, there's there's plenty with this team. And we'll we'll do a little bit of what we learned after week one going into the end segment on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. This, this is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. We're running really long on first episode of the week. We already had a recap. Make sure you check that out, Bengals Steelers. And then we'll get into a preview later this week. But now, what we learned, I'm making an executive decision for myself and Mike. We learned that this defense is still legit. And it's not a surprise because if you go into training camp, it was like, 2021 2.0 we saw it last year a lot of people concerned with joe burrow and training camp this offense is struggling jamar chase can't catch a football in preseason this defense looks legit well that's kind of concerning is this defense legit what do we know from trey hendrickson can he repeat what he did with the saints he did and we're seeing this defense really gel together again yes i think you have to take in consideration what offense you were facing in the pittsburgh steelers but they're still an nfl squad there's still an offense out there. Mitch Trubisky is still a vet NFL quarterback. But I think the biggest thing that we learned from that game on Sunday is you got you could have a top 10 defense at the end of the season. And, and maybe I said top eight. A lot of people don't put them in top five. That could possibly happen if they stay healthy. But I'm at top 10 right now. I don't know how you feel about rankings. But what did you learn from this defense on Sunday? Uh, yeah, yeah, just I think they are a legit good defense. It wasn't just the playoffs where he's scheming everything up for the opponents and lose just masterminding all of this. I think they're a legit good defense when they're healthy. And uh, I know it's not the 
craziest offense to face, although kind of with what Matt Canada does. But like they're not, you know, it's not an elite quarterback. It's not an elite offensive line run game, all those things. But what they do is just they're very sound. They got no turnovers, which is the only issue, I think, or sacks. But, I mean, they forced so many punts. Presley Harvin came out there so many times to <laughs> punt that ball back. Um, overall, I was very impressed with them. Uh, mostly just such a love for DJ Reader and what he does for this defense is just a reminder. What we learned is just like, let's just not take this guy for granted. He is, I think, in my opinion, the best nose tackle in the league. Why doesn't DJ Reader get the credit he deserves? Because everybody loves splash plays. They love sacks. They love, uh, you know, interceptions and things like that. Even our, even the Bengals fans, they, they don't always list, or, or they usually don't list DJ Reader as the number one player on this defense because Trey Hendrickson can get 15 sacks or, you know, Chidobe Wuze has a whatever PFF score in coverage and, you know, Jesse Bates or somebody gets some interceptions. So, and Logan Wilson gets interceptions, but I think at their job, the guy who's the best at what he does is DJ Reader. And uh, I, I just think we need to give him the credit he deserves, both as a fan base and then also nationally needs to recognize both. One, just nose tackles are different than these three techs that also go out to edge and you know rack up sacks. It's not fair for DJ to be going against those guys for Pro Bowl voting and stuff. And they've got those numbers and all pro voters, not going to say they don't watch, but you know, they think they see some big sack numbers and they're more inclined to give that guy the award. Just make nose tackle its own thing. DJ Reader would have been a first, first team all pro nose tackle last season and played like it again in this first game. So I think DJ Reader is awesome. I think the reason he doesn't get any love is because of the love of splash plays and things like that. But I mean, I know splash plays are fun, but I, and this went viral off of my Twitter. He had this one rep where he gets hit and he's off balance. And I immediately thought, oh, what a nice block. But he puts his right foot down, completely catches himself with like a thousand pounds of force on balance. He's like 330 pounds. He got hit with probably 600 pounds of force on that double team and throws James Daniels onto his face all the way over and then makes a tackle from a split. I was like, oh my goodness, that is the best play I think I've seen from the Bengals defense maybe since Geno Atkins was there. You know, like that was just insane type stuff to be strong, that strong, that flexible, and have that much balance and coordination. And at 330 pounds. I know they always want to post RAS scores and all this stuff. That's what an elite nose tackle athlete looks like. One that can stay on his feet and toss a, throw a guy, another man. That's a professional football player that most of this fan base wanted the Bengals to sign. Throw him about five yards across the line onto his face and make the tackle. It needs more love. That is such a cool play. And then he had a bunch of other run stops and he even got some pressures. He got a couple quarterback hits, no sacks, of course, but... You know, he was getting back there and hitting Trubisky. It, you know, he was part of one of the worst sandwiches I could think of where I'm getting hit by Trey Hendrickson and DJ Reader at the same time. The thing about DJ Reader, though, you mentioned all pro voters. I don't think they watch the NFL. All of them watch the NFL, to be completely honest. I think that's a lot of highlight tapes, what they see on social media. They go, like, oh, yeah, that's that's the guy. It's not, a, it's not a name I'm going to recognize. But one thing that's really funny about DJ Reader, when this club signed him, I remember 2020, Obviously, everybody's hyped because this team is going to draft Joe Burrow in a couple weeks. 
after they they started free agency, but it was the start. It was like day one of free agency and nothing. It was crickets in Cincinnati. Oh, the team's not doing anything. They're not going to sign anybody. And then like right at the deadline, like DJ readers coming to Cincinnati. <laughs> and I think it was just like the start of a really fun beginning when it comes to the free agency signings, what they've been able to do over the last couple, two and a half years in the front office. And, and DJ Reader really started it. I remember him saying that a big reason why he came to Cincinnati is he knew that Joe Burrow was obviously going to get drafted here. And who did he want to go play with? Joe Burrow or another quarterback that was not going to be Joe Burrow. And he decided to come here because of Burrow. So I think that's really huge. But yeah, I hope the guy gets gets what he deserves this year. And I hope people really see, you know, what a big part of the defense and just a leader overall DJ Reader can be. We'll go to the rookie, Dax Hill. He was a big talk of preseason because you don't have a whole lot of starters out there. Didn't play in the last preseason game, which I felt like was smart for this defense. When you think of the safety room, Jesse Bates, Von Bell and Dax Hill, the defense looks a little different because of the offense they were facing in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tell the people why we didn't see Dax Hill that much in his day in his rookie debut. Yeah, I think the big one with that is that they're saving him as a weapon against uh, lethal passing passing offenses. I I don't think they were overly concerned about Mitch Trubisky and the Steelers' passing offense and their offensive line being able to protect him. So I think they were more so thinking we don't need to use Dax Hill too much third and long. He got a few runs and what do you get six, seven snaps and he played well when he was in there. But when, uh, when you're thinking about it, I think you won't see him. You could see him against Miami quite a bit. I think they've got weapons at the very least, even if whatever you think of Tua, they have Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle. And then I also think you could, I was just talking about passing offense, but you could see him against uh, the Ravens and Lamar where I think you might want to get that really athletic body onto the field to combat those, to combat that team. Um, but otherwise, Chiefs, Bills, all those teams, that's what he's, they're saving him for. They're not saving him for the Steelers' passing offense, unless they show something and they need to make a mid-game adjustment, and they didn't in this one. So that's, I think, why you didn't see so much Dax Hill. I don't think that one's so much, like I was talking about with Chris Evans, where I think the coaching staff doesn't love him as much as the fans. I think the coaching staff loves Dax Hill because they rested him in that final preseason game. They talk him up a lot. They were ready to start him if they needed to, although they always knew Jesse was coming back. So I think they like him a lot. They want to use him. It's just against the Steelers, they pretty much just played the main guys. Yeah, so you think that, obviously, you talked about the Miami game. You get Dallas coming up. I want. I don't want to get too much into it because we'll preview it on Thursday, but Cooper Rush, you don't see Dax Hill being a big part of the defense on Sunday? I don't predict it. I, I guess you could. It, the, the one way I think it could happen is what they think of Dalton Schultz in the tight end room and whether or not they think they might need to put a Dax Hill on the field to defend a Dalton Schultz type. But if I'm guessing, they still like Trey Flowers in that role. They still use plenty of different bodies. Hey, Von Bell had a great rep against Pat Fryermuth in the end zone. Uh, so they, they have guys to defend the tight ends. I think it's going to be more teams that want to spread them out and slice and dice them. They're going to bring Dax Hill out as a really good coverage defender and use him that way. Injuries, he'll get a ton of run because he is first off the bench for either safety. But um, until they play a passing offense that they're really worried about, I don't think you'll see – a ton of him. He'll probably play in every game, but I don't think you'll see a ton of him until they play against like a Chiefs, Bills, Buccaneers type offense. 
we say that and he'll come in and like have the team's first interception of, on the defensive side because who knows what's going to happen on Sunday. I feel like it's going to be madness, honestly, with Cooper Rush. But I have no clue what's going to happen so far in week two of the NFL. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But yes, fans, it's okay. Dax Hill will be a big part of this defense when it's necessary. I want to stay with just kind of the defensive side and the secondary, the cornerback room. Eli Apple, he's your guy. He gets some criticism out there. A lot of people who don't watch Cincinnati think he's going to get burned every time he's out there. But what did you think of the the secondary and Eli Apple on Sunday? I'm scared to be Eli Apple. That's my guy. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, sorry. I should no, it's okay. Little... Yeah, no, it's oh, fine. I'll I'll wrap, I'll wrap up a little bit. Maybe I, think I should he was like, take that back a little bit. But someone might. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what I did to be the Eli Apple guy. I don't, but, you know what? I'll take it. Said that it's probably too many people who are telling me that Eli Apple is their guy. So I, I was I was saying the entire offseason that Eli Apple was going to start. Like I didn't think Cam Taylor Britt was taking his job by week one, and probably not until an injury. Just because I think the coaching staff really likes him, and I think he's solid. And he came out and he was solid against the Steelers. I think he played well enough. It, it's kind of like when you watch him every other time where. You have you're sitting on edge, worried because of what Eli Apple has been. But every time I watch him, I go, "He's fine. He's solid, and he does a good job tackling." Um, well, <laughs> that Deontay play was very weird. <laughs> That's what I keep thinking about. Where he didn't really tackle him, but he didn't get the first down either. It was just very weird where he sticks the ball out, but is the ball's out of bounds, so it doesn't count. So, I think he does a fine job, though. I think he's a fine cornerback too. I, I'm not terrified every time he's on the field i hope he never makes me eat those words um dallas doesn't really have i mean i guess if they can get cd lamb on him you have a little bit of worry but otherwise they don't really have another guy that makes you think like oh that guy he's gonna be tough for eli apple i don't know i i think that for the most part he's fine he does a good job when he's asked to do things that aren't um cover cooper cup in the red zone that was bad and the thing about it is He's not 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 your guy. Maybe he's not your guy, but he's not. You're not against him. You're like, yeah, Eli Apple is fine, and I feel like that's the perfect way to explain who Eli Apple is in Cincinnati. He's fine, but I I really wish just for social media world that he would have had the pick six interception when you go to the AFC Championship game because he oh, was yeah. so close, and that would have just like the, the the app would have shut down. For how many people are against this guy? <laughs> he would have had that. So if there's one thing that I wish, I wish we could go back and that happen, even though they get the interception on the next play. But Eli Apple right there, that would have just ended it and then just been absolutely amazing for everyone involved. Uh, I know you're busy. You're breaking down everything out there on social media, your Twitter account, Bengals underscore Sands. But you also have a lot of stuff over on all Bengals after this past Sunday and just looking forward. What's up there? Uh, gonna do a piece on DJ Reader, of course. Uh, I become a parody of myself, and already I'm looking at DJ Reader, and I was just so impressed with him watching the game back over. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta write about it and show everybody just how awesome he was. I can't wait to check it out. And for our producer Nick, we're gonna end a little early because all of our segments have been running over for everyone. We'll have plenty going ahead to looking at Week Two, the Cincinnati Bengals versus the Dallas Cowboys, to be determined on how that looks. We'll see back up quarterback and Cooper Rush. We'll be back on it's always game day in Cincinnati. 